You may have gathered from the children's talk this morning that I'm speaking about a book, this one, the Bible. And I'm basing, I'm basing my thoughts this morning just on two verses that come from Romans chapter 3 and the first two verses. There's always a danger, of course, when you lift out a chunk of scripture out of its context that you lose that context and you might very well misinterpret the verses. And this is particularly true with these two verses. So we need to look at the context in which these two verses occur. Now, Paul, in writing to the Romans, gives a very detailed and very logical exposition of his theme. And the theme, of course, is given in Romans 1 verse 16, where Paul says that he is not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greeks, or if you like, for the Gentiles the Jews and the non-Jews. Just a word there. Um, the beginning of the statement sounds a bit strange in English because it's using the favorite uh, technique of the Bible of litotes, of instead of saying the positive thing strongly, you emphasize that by saying it's not the negative thing. So he says, I'm not ashamed. What he means, of course, is I am very proud. And that was, that's the way this litotes is used. It's used to emphasize the positive by saying it's not the negative. So Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. He says, I am extremely proud of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God to, uh, to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greeks. So here he's saying everyone needs salvation, first of all the Jew and then the Greek, or the, the non-Jew. He then goes on to emphasize in chapter 1, why we need salvation. Because the wrath of God is coming down upon all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And therefore, salvation is needed. And he describes the condition of the Gentile nations. And it's a horrific picture that he paints of their depravity and need of salvation. And then in chapter 2, he turns his attention from the Gentiles to the Jews. And he says the Jews think they have this wonderful relationship with God. The Jews think that they have this covenant relationship with God, 
that they are his chosen people, that they have the seal of circumcision showing that they are God's people, surely they don't need salvation the way the Gentiles need salvation. I mean, we God's people, surely we don't need all of this. And Paul says, no, there's no difference, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Doesn't matter whether you're Jew or, or Greek, you all have sinned and all need salvation. Now, but hang on, Paul, uh, we Jews, you know, we, we God's people, you, you can't be serious. You mean to say this? There's no advantage in being a Jew? And that is precisely the point at which we pick up Romans 3, verses 1 and 2, which read as follows. What advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? That's just what I've been talking about. And Paul then answers, not as you would expect him to say, no, there's no advantage, he says, no, much in every way. What God has done for the Jewish people gives you an advantage in every way, and then goes on to say, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. Your greatest advantage is that to you, the Jewish nation, has been committed the oracles of God. Now, the Bible often uses terms which we don't use in everyday speech, and oracles, I think, is one of those. When last did you mention the word oracle? What does it mean in the context? Well, it simply means that it is the divine utterances of God, the divine revelation from God, that God has spoken to the Jewish nation, the oracles of God, the sayings of God, the word of God. Now, this word oracle is used a number of times in the Old Testament, but it's also used four times in the New Testament. In the Old Testament, typically, it is talking about the Word of God in the Old Testament. <clears throat> in the New Testament, what does oracles mean? Well, let's look at We've got one of those four usages of the term oracles here in Romans chapter uh, 3. Let's look at the other three. The first occurs in Acts when Stephen is hauled before the Jewish council and he gives an account of his belief and he's speaking of Moses and Moses receiving the Ten Commandments on Mount Sinai. And he says in Acts 7 verse 38, speaking of Moses, this is he 
who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us. Now, it's quite clear here what he is talking about. It was the, the law, the Ten Commandments, the law that was given to Moses. And he uses two interesting terms. He says the living oracles, the living word of God, and they weren't just given to Moses for Moses to glorify in them. They were given to Moses to give to us, to pass on. So the oracles of God are given through a man, often a prophet in the Old Testament, but not for his benefit or his benefit alone, but to pass on and to give to the rest of us. And the Jewish people were very good at making sure they collected all of those oracles of God and put them into books, into scrolls. We then find in Hebrews chapter 5 the next occurrence of the word oracles of God. Hebrews 5 verse 12. And this is talking about those who preach the gospel and said, for though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Now again, the context. The context, if you take it, is speaking about the gospel of Christ. In fact, just three verses later, he says in Hebrews 6 verse 1, Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, therefore, because of what has already been said, we were talking about the elementary principles of Christ. Now we're going on to something else. So obviously here the references to the oracles of God are referring to New Testament scripture. The Old Testament usage referred to the Old Testament. Here we have the New Testament being referred to as the oracles of God. And then the third occurrence is Peter in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 11. 1 Peter 4 verse 11 where he says, If anyone speaks, let him speak as the oracles of God. If anyone ministers, let him do it as with the ability which God supplies that in all things God may be glorified through Christ Jesus, to whom belong the glory and the dominion forever and ever. Now you'll recall that at the, during the earthly ministry of Jesus, Jesus had numerous disciples, hundreds of them. 
but 12 of them were chosen by Jesus and called apostles. Only they were apostles. The rest were all disciples, just as we are disciples of Jesus Christ, but there were just 12 apostles, and they lived close to Jesus during his earthly ministry. They heard all of his ministry, and later the Holy Spirit brought remembrance of all that was said to their minds. Paul, of course, was not one of the original 12, but he was later commissioned by Jesus Christ uh, in a spiritual sense this time to be an apostle. And Paul makes it clear, if you take any of the epistles of Paul, he starts off by saying, this is from Paul, the apostle of Jesus Christ. He makes it very clear that he is an apostle. Why? Because the apostles and only the apostles were given commission by Jesus Christ to be oracles of God. Just like the Old Testament prophets were commissioned to receive and transmit the word of God, so the apostles were commissioned to give forth <coughs> the word of God, to be the oracles of God. And by the way, if you've read the beliefs of this church, we say that there is no such thing as the succession of apostles. There were 12 apostles, one extra one was chosen, and then Paul was chosen, and only they were the apostles. Only they were commissioned. Only they were commissioned to be the oracles of God. And that's why the Bible is complete. There are no more oracles adding to the word of God. There is no apostolic succession. There are no apostles in this day and age. If you hear of a church that has apostles, be very wary. God commissioned, or Jesus Christ commissioned only those apostles, and that was it. But let's get back to our theme verse, Romans 3 verses 1 and 2. Paul says that the Jews had an advantage in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. That word chiefly is interesting. The Jewish nation had numerous blessings of God. Paul is saying the most important the critical one, the chiefly one, is that they were, they were, to them was committed the oracles of God. Now, as I say, there are many important things in the history of the Jewish people. You can take, for example, that God set up a covenant with Abraham. 
way back in Genesis. And he said that there's going to be a special relationship between him and Abraham, and that Abraham would be the father of many nations. He implemented the seal of circumcision as a sign that the Jews were God's special people. You will recall after being in slavery in Egypt, God parted the Red Sea and allowed the children to escape from Egypt on dry land. Then the Egyptian army came after them and the waters returned and wiped out the entire Egyptian army. You will recall how God then met with Moses on Mount Sinai and gave him the law, the law of God. You will recall how God fed the uh, children of Israel in the wilderness for 40 years by giving them manna uh, for six days of the week. Yeah, but that's nothing. There were, there were just a few of them. Well, just stop and read your Bibles a bit. They counted the number of men who were able to be soldiers. Over 20 years old, there were over 600,000 of them. Add the children, the old men, the women, and you've got about 2 million people. That's a lot of manna every day. Then when the children of Israel were ready to cross into the promised land, God caused the waters of the river Jordan, and it was in flood, and the, the waters stopped flowing. And they crossed into the promised land, and then the waters of the river Jordan began to flow again. God made the walls of Jericho fall down, and they conquered Jericho. God enabled the Israelites to conquer the promised land. Many, many blessings of God. But which was the chief blessing? Chiefly to them were committed the oracles of God. Why is this important? Well, you know what people are like. If they know somebody important, they brag about it. If they met the president of South Africa, they would have a picture up in their lounge and in their place of work showing that they had spoken to the president. Imagine the Queen of England, let's say it's her 90-something birthday, and she goes for a stroll along the path lined with all of her ardent followers. And then she stops and she talks to one of them. And that person, for the rest of his or her life, would say, the queen spoke to me. The queen actually spoke to me. Now take God speaking to man and multiply someone being spoken to by the president of the country or spoken to by the Queen of England, multiply that by billions and you still won't be close to the importance of God 
speaking to man. There's nothing to compare with it. The creator of this universe speaking to man. The oracles of God. God continued to speak to the Jewish nation through the prophets. And we read in Second Peter 1, it's verse 20 and 21, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. And Paul says to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God. We say this is the word of God. And that's precisely what it is. Now, of course, if, if hearing the word of God is so important, then not hearing the word of God is a calamity in contrast. You'll recall that after the uh, prophets had spoken, there was a period of 400 years of silence between Malachi, the last prophet of the Old Testament, and the coming of John the Baptist, who was the first, if you like, prophet of the New Testament and the coming of Jesus. 400 years of silence. The prophet Amos says in Amos 8.11, Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. If you have nothing to eat and drink, that's a calamity. And here God is saying, if you do not have the words of the Lord, that's an even greater calamity. Having the words of God is very, very important. The nation of Israel was blessed because the oracles of God were given to them, were committed to them. And that was only the nation of Israel. God did not speak to any other nation, not even South Africans. <clears throat> God spoke only to the nation of Israel. All the other nations around them were in the darkness of barbarism and of idol worship, but God spoke to the nation of Israel. What could be more important uh, for a nation? Chiefly to them were committed the oracles of God. And of course the word of God is truth, ultimate truth. And so by Having the word of God, uh, the nation of Israel had a light 
that the other nations didn't have. They had knowledge and information about God the other nations didn't have. The other nations were worshipping idols made of wood and stone, but there was only one true and living God, and the nation of Israel knew this. God said to Abram, I will bless you, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed, and haven't we just? And of course, the oracles of God are not just information about God, but also information about the future. And so in the Old Testament, we have hundreds of references to the, mess, the coming of the Messiah. So the, the nation of Israel had hope, whereas all the other nations... <clears throat> I thought my ears were supposed to be packing up. <laughs> anyway, let's get on. God committed his oracles to the people, to the Jews. Perhaps a better translation of the word committed is entrusted. God entrusted. They, the people, the Jews were expected to look after and to preserve the word of God and how well they did that. In those days, if you read in, in um, Deuteronomy, Moses, it says, was faithful to write down everything God said. And throughout the history of the Jewish nation, they have written down the words of God. And they would write them in those days on parchment. Now, parchment is, I believe, comes from the skin of a, of a sheep, and the skin is split into two. Uh, and the inner part, not the part with the hair on it, but the inner part is parchment. It is specially prepared and that was the paper on which the, the scribes and the prophets wrote the oracles of God. But of course, parchment is an organic substance and it gradually deteriorates and eventually the scrolls were in a bad state. They were cracked, they were starting to fall apart and so they'd have to be copied. And the Jewish scribes were incredible in the care that they took to make precise copies. If they made a mistake, they discarded that parchment and started again. Uh, there was no delete on their computer. And they were incredibly good and checked incredibly thoroughly that the copy was exact. And then only was the old scroll destroyed. And then, of course, as um, the Jews spread around the territory and synagogues popped up at each uh, place, town, so there was a need for the word of God at each of the synagogues. So more and more copies were made, but with precise accuracy. 
You would have heard, of course, of the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, initially discovered in 1947 and then carried on. And eventually, in 11 caves in Qumran, near the Dead Sea, they discovered these scrolls. Scrolls from around the date of 100 BC that had been almost miraculously preserved by the atmospheric conditions around the Dead Sea and being protected in caves. And so suddenly people had Old Testament scriptures from before the time of Christ. Prior to that, the oldest Old Testament copies we had came from about 1,000 A.D., or about 1,000 years old. Now suddenly, from the oldest being 1,000 years old, we've got the oldest being over 2,000 years old. So from the Dead Sea Scrolls to 1,000 A.D., you can imagine how many copies of copies of copies were made. And you can tell then how accurately people made those copies by comparing these scrolls with those scrolls. And guess what? They're almost 100% accurate. The, um, the Dead Sea Scrolls contain portions or entire books of the whole of the Old Testament with the exception of the book of Esther why it got left out, we don't, we don't know. But virtually the entire Old Testament was there, and it's exactly the same as these ones from a thousand years later. Incredible precision in looking after, in having the, um, the oracles of God committed to these people. They really, really look after them very well. So what about us? Here we are with the word of God. We put it in a bookcase. We sleep on it. We have it on our desk in a prominent place. Or are we reading it? This is the word of God. The most important thing that happened to the Jewish nation, to them were committed the oracles of God, the chief thing. And here we have cum bookstores with racks and racks and racks of Bibles. The word of God. And he speaks to us through it. But don't sleep on it. Read it, study it, meditate on it, pray over it, ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you through his word. That is the main way God speaks to us today, through his word. And we are told not just to read it and study it and pray over it, but we are also told by Paul that we are stewards of the mysteries of God. A steward is someone who is expected to preserve and protect. Are you preserving and protecting God's word? Are you, as um, Jude wrote, 
striving earnestly to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. So there's the challenge to me and the challenge to you this morning regarding the oracles of God. It's the most important thing. Let us handle it as God expects. Let us make it part of our lives. Let us preserve it and cherish it.